welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. If we haven't met yet, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Awakening. And if it is your first time here, yeah, it's not a normal Sunday. I just want to like say that. I don't feel like it's, it's hidden within that subtext, but very plainly, this is not a normal Sunday. We usually have heat, uh, believe it or not. Um, but man, thank you again for your patience and stuff. And, you know, I think it's like good. Um, I've been smiling all morning, actually, since I got a text at like 7 a.m. from Nick saying the power was out because... My original title for this message, I swear, was God Arrives in the Dark. (laughs) So I didn't, like, expect the metaphor to be this rich. (laughs) But if I would have known, I would have said God Arrives in the Cold Dark. Um, But that's that's the season of Advent that we're in. And I'll tell you a little bit more about Advent. It's the season leading up to Christmas. It's a season of anticipation, season of waiting, a season of experiencing what Israel was waiting for when they were waiting for the coming of Jesus. Um, yeah, I might be a little rusty today because I've, I've been out for, for a while. I haven't, uh, I haven't preached since, since September. It's because my wife and I actually welcomed our, our first child into the world. Uh, baby boy. Um, Jude Adrian Nye was born on October 24th, uh, healthy, and mom and baby are good, and um, we're living in, in a lot of joy, and you know what that means when a pastor has a baby, right? Fresh sermon illustrations, baby. It's, uh, <laughs> this kid is going to be a metaphor in a lot of sermons, he knows. <laughs> so you might as well start now. You know, might as well start this morning as we start Advent, think about anticipation, think about waiting. That was really the posture my wife and I were in, and any of you who have had kids have, have been in. You know, the childbirth is just crazy. It's, it's a crazy experience, emotionally, physically enduring. And, you know, on top of that, my wife had a pretty long labor. And so we were, like, in a very emotionally, physically insane kind of couple of days. Obviously, way more for my wife than for me. But, man, it was like you have these moments, and I don't know. Some of you have been pregnant and gone through childbirth. There's, like, this moment where you're in the middle of it, and you're like, why do we have kids again? Like, <laughs> we're in so much pain. There's so much uh, difficulty and trauma and invasiveness that you just kind of wonder, you know, what are we doing? The difficulty just seems so great. And then Jude arrived, and this boy comes into the world. And, you know, on top of that, we didn't know what gender we were having. And so it was a total surprise and kind of a different level of a moment for us. And the doctor, Jude, came out and said, it was a, it's a boy. And I, you know, after we hung out and he got checked out and we were there for an hour or so, I rounded the corner into the waiting room and there my family was and in-laws. And it's like, it's a boy. And they screamed very loud because we have a few um, just very loud female family members that more shrieked than anything else, so much so that the attending physicians around the corner and was like, is everything okay? Is there an emergency here? I was like, no, we just had a baby. We didn't know it was a boy. It's a boy. We're all happy. I'm like, okay. Everybody okay? I was like, yes, it's just my family. They're very loud. Um, but it was so much joy when Jude arrived. And it's strange, you know, like suddenly like, okay, you go through this crazy time. It's really intense. There's tons of pain. 
Uh, you, you know, I see my wife in her most like vulnerable, difficult state. And then when Jude's there, within minutes, it's like we're smiling. We're at ease. We're at peace. And it's like the trouble of labor began to be reinterpreted before our eyes in the light of the coming of Jude. Like, it was within a matter of moments that the difficulty and invasiveness of the experience, that was mostly Allie's experience, right, was now this distant memory. Like, what was once extremely taxing became a very beautiful moment. Before Jude, it was impossible. But after Jude, it was bliss. It was joy. It makes me wonder, like, how does this happen? And how can it happen in our lives? What I mean is, how can such difficult things become beautiful things? How can darkness, here begins the metaphor, become light? Wouldn't it be good news just for us as human beings in the 21st century, wouldn't it be good news to know that there was some way that all difficult things could become beautiful things? Wouldn't it be good news that if the metaphor of childbirth truly was a metaphor for living life? You see, during Advent, the season I told you, that the church across the world, it starts in this place, actually. This place of, like, longing, anticipation, pain of waiting for the coming of Jesus. You see, Advent leads us to Christmas Day, and all Christians throughout the world reflect on Jesus' initial coming as a man and his future return. And in some ways, during Advent, we live in between those two worlds, the world of Christ's first coming and his future coming. During Advent, the church has traditionally focused on certain words, right? Across uh, his church history and across the world, churches look at these words, hope, faith, joy, love, and peace. And they meditate on these words. And at Awakening, we're going to take these words, we're going to match them to a character in the narrative of the story of Jesus' birth. In Luke 2, Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1, these are different moments where we get to see the first coming of Jesus. So it might help us see the next coming of Jesus and help make us learn one of these words. Well, today is hope. Today is the word hope. And we're going to look at a story of a man named Simeon. Hope is like a mother in childbirth. Hope is the certain expectation that the pain will be transformed and over. That's like a woman in childbirth. It's actually not my metaphor. Paul uses this metaphor in Romans 8, where he says that the whole creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And he says not only creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. Paul says, our waiting for God to arrive in our life, our waiting for Christ to return, our waiting, waiting for justice, our waiting for healing, our waiting for compassion to overwhelm pain is just like a woman giving birth. And we wait in that kind of hope because hope is not wishful thinking. Hope, just like childbirth, is the certain expectation. The child will come, right? The child will come. And just like that, hope in Christ says Christ will come again. Christ has come and Christ will come again. Just as my wife walked through the pain of childbirth for the arrival of our son, so we, the church, wait through the pain of life for the arrival of Christ to come and redeem the world again. This waiting, this hope, it's very difficult, right? It's very difficult. 
To believe that a child will arrive does get you through childbirth, but to wait for a God to arrive is something else. We don't see God. We don't notice him, right? We, so we make shortcuts or we wait. We don't wait for him. We just kind of abandon God because we say, well, God will never arrive. How can I be sure? How will I know? And so we just kind of walk away from God or move away from God because God cannot be seen. Anything to just rid us of the pain of the anticipation and also to hedge our bets, right? Because we don't want to be like, man, if God doesn't show up, if God doesn't come through, I don't want to be disappointed. So I'm just going to you know, believe that God will not come and just back away from God entirely. This is how we set up our life. And this is actually exactly the world in which Jesus arrived. See, the people of Israel, which are God's people, the people Jesus was coming to, they were waiting for the first coming of Jesus, prophesied throughout all of the Old Testament as the anointed one or the Christ. Hundreds and thousands of years, the Jewish people were waiting for this coming, this arrival, this birth, this new life. And the prophets spoke about it. And there's actually this man in Jerusalem. He was a Jewish man who was reading the scriptures, hearing the scriptures, waiting in anticipation for the coming of God. He was asking the same question you and I ask. Will God ever show up? Will God ever arrive? Is God's arrival, if he ever does come, worth the wait? Does God really ever show up? This is his story. Since we don't have screens, you can pull out your phones or you can pull out your uh, original analog Bible. To Luke chapter 2, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, and I would encourage you to follow along. I'm going to read a little bit of scripture. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Luke 2.25, it says this, there's this man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This is the man we're looking at today. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 2. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. And when the Parents, Mary and Joseph, brought the child, Jesus, to do to him according to custom of the law. It was a custom of the law to bring the child to the temple to be blessed, consecrated. 28, he, Simeon, he takes Jesus into his arms and he blesses God. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Father and mother, Mary and Joseph, they marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed the parents. And then he turns to Mary and says this, Behold, this child that he's holding, Jesus, is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And he says to Mary, A sword will pierce through your own soul too, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This man, Simeon, was actually not a priest. He was not any kind of pastor or religious official. He was probably just a normal Hebrew man observing the Jewish ways. We probably think we can surmise that he's older because he says he's waiting. He believes that he will die after he sees the Lord's Christ, which is the anointed one, right? Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his title, the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. And it says that he was, quote, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Like I said, prophets had been speaking about Israel or about uh, the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Son of God. 
and he, and he was waiting for the consolation or the, the climactic moment of the story. Prior to this man's life, Simeon, if you go back in your Bible, you're in the book of Luke, you'll pass through two gospels, Mark and Matthew, and then you'll get in your Old Testament, and that last book is called Malachi. Many people do not know the distance of time, the chronology between the last book of your Old Testament and the first book of your New Testament is 400 years. There was 400 years of silence that Simeon had been waiting in, and his father, and his father's father, and his father's father's father, all of them had been waiting and waiting and waiting, and there had been silence. No prophecy, no word from God, no moment from heaven, no burning bush, no moment that they could look to to point that God was on the horizon. They were in the dark. They sat believing God would come for 400 years without reassurance. God, through his prophets, though, echoed across those 400 years. And Simeon, sitting 400 years after the last prophet, is sitting there looking at the baby Jesus and saying, God, the consolation of Israel is in my hands. The moment that we have been waiting for is here. The thing that Isaiah spoke of has come true. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord said, He will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son. He shall be called Emmanuel, or God with us. Or how about the verse that Chioma so beautifully read earlier in Isaiah 9? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Those scriptures are echoing in Simeon's head as he is receiving Jesus and he's realizing this first great truth about Advent for you and for me, which is this, that God arrives in the dark. God arrives in the dark. That at the moment of our despair and confusion, after 400 years of silence, both literally or metaphorically in your life, if you feel like you've been not hearing from God for hundreds and hundreds of years, at the moment of our despair, confusion, and silence, when we are at our end, God's arrival begins. In the places where we are certain he is absent, we suddenly realize he's present. God arrives in the darkness. What's strange about the story of Simeon is the seeming pose with which he meets Jesus. He has this poise and pose about him. He just seems to have this countenance that he knew God would show up. The text says that the man, he says he was righteous and devout. That Greek word devout is the same word that used for like a statesman or a politician to mean he was defiant. He'd be unmoved. He'd be stately. And this man, Simeon, says the Holy Spirit was on him and he was immovable. It means that he walked closely with God, which is why he was waiting. He was knowing he could be with God and wait for God at the same time. And he says, my eyes have seen the salvation you have prepared. Do you find that curious? The salvation you have prepared. Well, yes, the one that God has been preparing. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, he says. Why does he say, though, that it's prepared? Because this, Simeon knows what you and I may need a reminder of this morning. It's not that God arrived in the dark once back in Israel. It's not that God once arrived in the dark in Bethlehem thousands of years ago. No, it's what Simeon knows, which is what I want to tell you today. It's actually that that is always how God operates. God always arrives in the dark. You see, you and I often think like, you know, we think that God's going to arrive when things are nice. We think God arrives when we're living in blessing. We think that God arrives in the daytime. But that's not really God's ways. And Simeon knew that. 
See, it wasn't just an isolated experience. Can I just give you a cursory overview of how God has arrived throughout history? Let's just take it back to Genesis 1. Do you remember the creation story? Some of you maybe don't know God, in the Christian creation story, the Hebrew creation story, Genesis 1, verse 1, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit was hovering over the waters. The image at creation is not a land of abundance and light, but a land of darkness and void. And there, God arrives. Verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there is light. God arrives in the dark. Flash forward just a couple of chapters later, Genesis chapter 12, Abraham worshiping false gods out in a foreign country in his father's land, and God shows up and says, Abraham, leave your homeland and come to the land to which I will show you. And he takes him and gives Abraham a family. Chapters later, a man, Joseph, Jesus, God shows up to Joseph in the blackness of a dream, in the darkness of his sleep, shows up and speaks to Joseph and elevates him. Later, in Exodus, the God who came to Moses, it says he came, quote, on the west side of the wilderness, which is like way, way out there. He was not in the center of uh, the city. Moses was out in Gilroy or whatever, okay? <laughs> he was far out. And where does God show up in a burning bush? He shows up on the west side of the wilderness. Where does God show up to the people of Israel? It's when they're enslaved. It's when they're in deep darkness and under the foot of an oppressor, a regime and a political situation that was drowning out the people, suffocating the people. God showed up. God always arrives in the dark. This is how he arrives. God doesn't arrive in the light because he is the light. God arrives in the darkness. That's why Isaiah, the verse again that Chioma so beautifully read, Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You see, Simeon knew this is exactly how God would show up. God would exactly show up after 400 years of silence where we don't think there's hope, where it's dark and bleak and black in the land, the light will come. And this is the second great reality that we realize. Because God is light, we realize God doesn't only show up in the darkness. God doesn't only arrive in the darkness. But once God arrives in the darkness, the darkness changes. The darkness flees in the light of his coming. Simeon, hundreds of years after that passage of Isaiah that was read earlier, after that was written, there's this baby boy in the temple, and Simeon is not thinking God is doing something he's never done before. Quite contrary, he's doing what he has always done before. God always arrives in darkness, and in shining his everlasting light, changes the darkness forever. What happens when God arrives in the dark? Well, the same thing that happened when my son arrived. The agony is reframed. The difficulty is different in the light of his coming. The wait was not so long after all. The mourning is transformed 
The history is retold. The narrative will never be the same. Everybody who tells a childbirth story, it doesn't really sound that bad. <laughs> People say, yeah, it was kind of hard, but then the boy came or the girl came. Oh my gosh, right? It's because the narrative switches in your head when something like that happens, that your history starts to be retold. And the same thing with Israel is that when God shows up in the light of Moses or creation or Joseph or here in Jesus' time in Luke or to in your life today, when God shows up, the narrative starts to change. You tell your story differently. You talk about your addictions differently. You talk about your past differently. You talk about your wounds differently. Why? Because God has arrived. Because life will never be the same once God shows up. God always arrives in the dark, but God changes the darkness. The world was created because God showed up in the dark. Israel became a family because God showed up in the dark. The people of Israel were led out of captivity and slavery because God arrived in the dark. And what about you? What is different about your life in the light of God's coming? This is what hope is. But I also understand that many of you are in the waiting. And as a pastor, I, I recognize the varying degrees to which we wait. The anticipation and what darkness means to you and what darkness might mean for me. Because you might be looking at me and go, well, yeah, Chris, your baby came. Mine didn't. You might be saying, well, yeah, Chris, you are a Christian. I get that. But I just can't get to that Christianity thing because I just can't trust God's going to come through because, you know, maybe he's just come through for you all the time. Well, no, no he hasn't. Because I, I, I know the pain of waiting for that which will not come. I've walked with close friends through addictions and dark times. Family members of mine, their bodies ravaged with diseases. Friends of mine passing away, the whole of their absence not being filled. Uh, walking with people as a pastor through some of their darker times. My family is not the same family I was born into. It's fractured, it's broken, divorce, betrayal. And so I know that season where we feel like it's too dark for God to arrive. And I guess that's the question, is if we're in that dark of a place, how will the light ever come in? There's a clue that Simeon gives us, actually, in this story in Luke 2. That's good news to you and good news to me. He actually turns to Mary, if you remember in the scripture. He blesses the child. He turns to Mary, and he says, this child is actually going to be opposed. There's, gonna, there's a sign against him. And, and actually, his life is going to cut you to the heart as a mother. You see, Simeon knew how the Lord would unleash his light into the world. Simeon knew how God was going to save the world because he was reading the prophets. He was saturated in his Old Testament. It would not be a magic wave of a wand. God would not come and save the world through magic dust of peace. It would be another arrival. You see, this time, God was not going to arrive as a baby in a manger, but as a man on a cross. Simeon knew that that baby in a manger was going to grow to be a man on a cross. This baby, we know because we're sitting on the other side of the story, was appointed to be opposed by many in Israel. They would crucify him on the outskirts of town. He would be, from an innocent baby, to treated like a criminal in an unjust court system. And what would God do then? 
What would God do when he himself was inhabiting the darkness? What would he do when he himself was receiving and taking on the darkness? When he was the one who was stricken, what happens when the hope is gone? Well, God doesn't change his ways. God arrives in the dark and God changes the dark. This is what happens in the story. That baby grows up and as he's crucified, he's pinned to the cross and he cries out as he's dying. Maybe you remember this. He cries out as he's dying. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there, the whole land goes dark, if you remember the story. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the land goes dark. And you see, we know, as we look back at that, that is not the time of God's absence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The land goes dark. Strangely, that's where God is most present. In the very moments of the death of Jesus, the life of the world is being born. God once again arrives in the dark and changes the darkness through the powerful resurrection. See, from one perspective, you can see it as the end of humanity, the death of God. But on another perspective, you can see it as the start of the life of the world. If this is true in the life and death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and glory, this is absolutely true in your life. That at the moment you feel like you are entering a black hole of nothingness, where you feel like God will never come through, is actually precisely the time he's arriving. You see, if God was present, arriving in the darkness of the cross, not afraid of the darkness, but taking it on for you and me, if he was in that moment in the darkness there, he is certainly present with us in our darkest days. We need not worry if God will arrive, because the cross proves he already has. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. God said that, let light shine out of darkness. It says, God has shown in our hearts, shown the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. It says in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you wonder why he says that? Because only when you stare at Jesus do you realize the reality of the character of God. God is not someone who does not know darkness. God is not someone who's afraid of darkness. God is someone who conquers darkness. And when you look at the face of Jesus, and I really mean the face, when you read his story in the scriptures, when you read the gospels, you realize what is profoundly true, that darkness is no match for Jesus Christ. That in his coming, when we stare at Jesus, we realize he's the God who knows the darkness. And so where, while you are waiting, you have a God who is not afraid of what you're waiting for, not afraid of the darkness you're inhabiting. Advent teaches us what hope really is. Hope is not wishing away the darkness. Hope is not pretending dark things don't exist, casting it out with silver bells and Santa Claus and colorful lights and all that. That's Christmas time. Advent teaches us to look at the darkness and not be dismayed, but defiant. To look at what is dark in this world. The people of the world look and they're frightened. But the people of God look at darkness and we kind of get excited. The world sees darkness and says, what will happen? But we see darkness and wonder, how might God arrive this time? Before we know the hope of Christ and the truth of the cross, darkness really is despair. 
But in Christ, we now see darkness is simply a sign that God is not only on his way, he's here. Because at every moment in time where God has been quote-unquote absent, he's actually been radically present. When God has been darkness and no light, he's been arriving. And the stories of your scriptures are to teach you over and over again, not that you've got it taken care of, but God's coming. The scriptures over and over again are not teaching you seek God. It's actually teaching you over and over again, God is seeking you. God is pursuing you. God is coming after you. And if you're in the darkness, just wait. He's about to arrive. He's here in Christ. When we hope in Christ, we know that he is here. And so I just, I have questions for you now, which is, where are you waiting for God? Or where might you be waiting for God's arrival? But simultaneously, where could God be arriving in your life right now where you think he's gone? Where could God be coming to you where you think he's leaving you? How is God changing the darkness in your life? The light of Jesus teaches us that he is here. And I'm going to invite Cole and Michaela and the band up now.